This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, get set, my friends, for some chills going down your spine. We begin tonight with The Sealed Book, which was a radio series of mystery and terror tales produced and directed by Jock McGregor for the Mutual Network. Each week, after the sound of the great gong, uh, host Philip Clark observed that the mysteriously silent keeper of the book has opened the ponderous door to the secret vault wherein is kept the great sealed book in which is recorded all the secrets and mysteries of mankind through the ages. Uh, here are tales of every kind, tales of murder, of madness, of dark deeds, strange and terrible beyond all belief. <laughs> and after this introduction, the drama began with three organ solo breaks for inserting the commercials of local stations carrying the program. Although this anthology series didn't have recurring characters other than the narrator and the keeper of the book, for some reason the writers often use the same names for different characters from week to week, including Hester, Drake, and most especially, Roger. And at the end of an episode, Clark told listeners to tune in the following week when, quote, the sound of the great gong heralds another strange and exciting tale from The Sealed Book. Scripts were by Robert Arthur Jr. and David Krogan, and uh, they were also responsible for The Mysterious Traveler and recycled many of the more popular uh, stories from that parent program. The Hands of Death which we're going to hear tonight, was the first of the 26 episodes. Here is a sealed book. <laughs> the sealed book. Once again, the keeper of the book is ready to unlock the ponderous volume in which is recorded all the secrets and mysteries of mankind through the ages. All the lore and learning of the ancients, all the strange and mystifying stories of the past, the present, and the future.
keeper of the book, what tale will you tell us this time? First, I must unlock the great padlock, which keeps the sealed book safe from prying eyes. <laughs> now, what story shall I tell you? I have here tales of every kind. Tales of murder, of madness, of dark deeds, and of events strange beyond all belief. <laughs> there. Now let me see. Yes. Yes. Here's a tale for you. A dark story of two brothers. One of them killed because he could not help himself. The other one was interested in murder, too, but in a very different way. The title of the tale is... The Hands of Death. <laughs> Here is the tale as it is written in the sealed book. It began in San Francisco on a night of thick, suffocating fog. A young man hurrying homeward turns a corner and bumps abruptly into a huge figure striding toward him. Oh, oh. oh excuse me. Fog is so thick I didn't see you. It's all right. Uh, tell me, do you live here? Hmm? Here in San Francisco? Why? Well, yes, I do. Do you know where Edward Morlock lives now? Why? No, I... No, I never heard of him. Now, if you'll excuse uh, me, but... Wait. But I, I've really got to get home. I just want a light from your cigarette. Oh, of course. Here, I'll hold it for you. Uh, just hold it like that. <laughs> what is it? What's the matter? Nothing. It, it's nothing. It's my hands, isn't it? They frightened you. No, no, it's it, it's nothing. My hands, they disgusted you. No, no, of course not. They frightened you because they're not like other people's hands. No, 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 let go of me. I assure you that... I you thought I was a freak. Let go of me. You're crazy. You... I'm not crazy, do you hear? I'll show you. No, no. I'll show you. <laughs> Strangler is at work in San Francisco. <laughs> Jennings will be interested in that. I beg your pardon, <laughs> Mr. Morlock. Huh? Oh, yes, Jennings? Uh, the postman just brought this package, sir. Oh, package, eh? Give it to me. Yes, sir. Now wheel me over to the window. Of course, sir. Ah, this is close enough, Jennings. Uh, this package, I suppose you noticed it came from my agent in New York? Yes, sir, I did. Then perhaps you can guess what's in it. Hey, Jennings. No, sir, but I have no doubt it's another nice addition to your collection of objects of having to do with famous murders, sir. <laughs> yes, indeed, a nice addition. But speaking of murders, uh, have you seen this morning's San Francisco paper yet? No, sir. Well, look at these headlines. Uh, read them out loud. Playboy murdered in fog. 
Phantom Strangler breaks victim's neck. <laughs> then he's back. Your brother Kane is back. Yes, back in San Francisco, looking for me. And he'll keep looking for you. And if he finds you, he'll kill you. Yes, he's dedicated his life to that purpose. And all because he feels I cheated him out of his share of the money our father left us. Oh, it's a great pity. Yes, sir. Of course, we know the truth. Quite so. As you say, we know the truth. However, I hardly think Cain will find me here. No, sir. So we'll forget about him. Uh, Jennings, tomorrow afternoon, a neighbor is dropping in for tea. A neighbor, sir? Yes, Inspector Tennant, the head of the local police force. He's coming to view my little collection. Of course, sir. He may bring a friend with him. So have plenty of everything? Yes, sir. Well, that's all. What are you waiting for? Excuse me, sir. I, I wanted to speak to you about this check you gave me yesterday for my month's salary. Well, what about it? It's for the usual 500, isn't it? Yes, sir, but uh, you see, Mr. Morlock, I, I've been thinking in these times I ought to have more. More? Just how much do you consider your services worth, Jennings? Shall we say a thousand a month? A thousand a month? It's quite reasonable, I think. After all, if I were to tell the authorities all I know about your father's will and how it happened that the entire fortune came to you and none to Kane. Never mind, I... Jennings. I'll make out another check. Thank you, sir. But be careful you don't drive me too far. You may regret it. Oh, I think I'll be safe enough, Mr. Morlock. After all, confined to that wheelchair as you are, you need me. That's enough. You'll get your check later. Yes, sir. Very good, Mr. Morlock. Mm. So you're getting greedy, are you, Jennings? I must find some way to discourage you. Yes. Some way to discourage you. <laughs> Morlock, the strange, crippled collector of murder relics, enjoyed himself thoroughly playing host to police inspector Tennant and Mr. Norman Smith, a criminologist friend of his. He began by showing them his latest acquisition, the one that had come by mail just the day before. And uh, now, gentlemen, look. Cashmere shawl. Yes, but no ordinary cashmere shawl. Until last month, it was owned by two very old sisters who lived in a dingy house in Baltimore. In Baltimore? Yes. You mean that's the shawl? Exactly, gentlemen. That's the shawl with which the two old ladies were strangled by a sneak thief. Well, I'll be darned. It's a prize worthy even of my collection, which is, I flatter myself, the most complete of its kind ever assembled. Funny hobby, I'd call it. <laughs> Every man to his taste, Inspector. Murder is your business, but it's my hobby. Now, if you'll just pull back those curtains there, the rest of my collection is on the shelves behind them. These curtains? That's right. <laughs> well, I'll be jiggered. <laughs> this is most interesting, Mr. Morlock. Yes, I knew you'd think so. Look there on the wall. An authentic headsman's axe. It was used in the brutal murder of the Baron de Morlay, uh, an ancestor of mine in the 15th century. And right there below it is the bloodstained dress worn by one of the victims of Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper. 
And on the next shelf, you see... And so there, gentlemen, you have the highlights of my collection. How do you like them? Well, if that's the sort of thing you're interested in, I'll say your collection does seem complete. Thank it is you. indeed. In fact, there's really nothing missing except perhaps a murderer and a victim. What did you say? That the only thing missing from your collection is a murderer and a victim. <laughs> the most interesting thought, Mr. Smith. And after all, why not? Why not what? Oh, excuse me, Inspector. I was just thinking out loud. Oh. Well, I'm afraid we got to go now, Morlock. Hey, Smith? Yes, you're right, Inspector. It's been a great pleasure having you, gentlemen. And I do hope you'll call again. Yes, Mr. Morlock, you rang. Yes, Jennings. Before you help me to bed, I want you to mail these letters. Yes, sir. They are to major newspapers in San Francisco and contain a message to be inserted in their personal columns. A message? Yes, to my brother, Kane. We used to communicate this way in the past. But, uh, what... uh, here is a copy of the message. You may read it. If the gentleman with the unusual hands will visit his brother in Santa Villa, he will learn something to his advantage. <laughs> You're inviting him here? Exactly. You've decided to play safe. To trap him and turn him over to the police? Oh, 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 oh. oh, that's clever of you, Jennings. Yes, very clever. But you've already proved you're clever, haven't you? Now just take these letters out and mail them, and soon, quite soon, I think, we shall be seeing my dear brother Kane again. <laughs>
And now for the rest of my story, The Hands of Death, as it is written in the sealed book. After Edward Morlock had put into effect his plan to bring his brother Kane to him, he sat in his wheelchair and waited. Seeming much amused at some secret thought of his own. One day passed, then two, then three, and then the newspapers carried strange new headlines. So Brother Kane was in Los Angeles last night, Jennings. He's getting closer. I shouldn't be surprised if he arrived here tonight. I I don't like it. Oh, nonsense, Jennings. You know you've got nothing to fear from Kane? Unless, of course, you're so careless as to make some remark about his hands. I know, but he intends to kill you. I think I'll be able to control him. I want you to bring me a glass of milk. Kane is very fond of milk. Glass of milk? With a triple dose of sleeping powder in it. But I don't understand... Never mind, just do as I say. What's that? I imagine that's Kane now. Kane? Here, already? Quick, I'll let him in. You get that glass of milk ready. And bring it in when I ring. Yes, sir, when you ring, sir. Oh, come in, Kane. I've unlocked the window... Yes, I'll come in, Edward, now that I've found you at last. Well, I'd hardly say you found me, Kane. Uh, I sent for you. It's the same thing. Now I'm where I can put my hands around your throat at last. I'm going to kill you. Do you hear? Kill you. Kane, sit down. What? Sit down. I want to talk to you. All right, I'll sit down, but... You can't change my mind. Tell me, Kane, how many people have you killed since you got out of the penitentiary? Seven. Seven murders? They looked at my hands. They were disgusted. I didn't kill them. My hands did. You hear? I didn't want to kill them. But my hands killed them anyway. I, of course, I understand. Your hands. Your great-grandfather had hands like yours, you know, Cain. Don't talk about it anymore. Of course not, Cain. But you must be hungry. I'll ring for Jennings. He'll fix something for you. Yes, I am hungry. But please, Kane, don't startle the poor fellow. You know, he's very much afraid of you. Why? Why is he afraid of me? It's your hands. He says they give him nightmares. My hands give him nightmares? Oh, you mustn't blame him, Kane. He can't help it. My hands give him nightmares. Yes, sir. I've brought you a glass of milk, Mr. Morlock. My hands frightened. Oh, thank you, Jennings. Uh, just put it down here. Yes, sir. Uh, why are you looking at me like that, Jennings? Uh, I'm not looking at you, Mr. Kane. You're looking at my hands. They upset you. They give you nightmares. No, 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 Mr. Kane. That's not true. I'll show you. I'll give you a reason to be afraid of my hands. Mr. Morlock, help me. I'll oh, show you. I'll show you. Let go. You're you. kidding. Help. Oh, oh. <laughs> There. That'll teach you to be afraid of my hands. You can let him go now, Kane. He's dead. 
And my hands, they've killed again. Yes, he's dead. Oh, you've been very wicked, Cain. I didn't want to kill him. My hands did it. My hands, you hear? You must be quiet now, Cain. You must rest. I didn't want to kill him. Here, drink this milk. Then lie down and rest for a while. We'll talk some more in the morning. All right. I'll drink it. I'll take care of everything. That's right, Kane. Lie back and sleep. Sleep soundly. <laughs> so you'd blackmail me, would you, Jennings? And you'd kill me, would you, Kane? But I've been too clever for both of you. <laughs> Hello. Hello, police headquarters. Connect me with Inspector Tennant, please. I want to report a murder. And so, there you are, Inspector. Kane was in the penitentiary for assault with intent to kill. Apparently, he escaped since then. He's been seeking for me meaning to kill me. Good heavens, Morlock. Then he's the strangler who's been doing all these killings. Yes, I'm afraid so. Oh, and I never guessed until he showed up tonight to kill me because he thought, you see, quite wrongly that I had cheated him of his inheritance. Jennings bravely came to my rescue and Kane throttled him. Then I tricked Kane into drinking some drugged milk and... Well, there you are. But why, man? Why? Why did he kill all these people? Because of his hands. His hands? Well, you saw his hands. Tremendously strong. Not hands at all, really, but more like demon's claws. Kane is morbidly sensitive about his deformity. When he feels someone is frightened by his hands, he kills them. Just like that. It's a good thing we got him at last. You can take him along now quite safely. But be sure to keep him well locked up, Inspector. And don't let anyone get within reach of his hands. A few weeks later, Kane Morlock entered the lethal chamber of the state penitentiary. Edward Morlock, the condemned man's invalid brother, was one of the few spectators. Kane Morlock, with his last breath, cursed his brother and swore that someday he would be avenged. Then he died. The following day, Inspector Tennant and his friend Norman Smith paid Edward Morlock another visit. Oh, good evening, Inspector and Mr. Smith. It's very kind of you to stop by tonight. We dropped in to see how you were making out, Mr. Morlock. Thought maybe, what with your trip yesterday and the shock, that perhaps... Oh, no, 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 I'm quite all right, thank you. What must be, must be. You see, I'm a philosopher. You have somebody looking after you? Yes, Philippe. A Filipino boy is taking poor Jennings' place. Oh, and uh, gentlemen, that reminds me. 
I have something here that will interest you. Mm -hmm. Something that'll interest us? Yes, here on the table beside me. Uh, this jar. Oh, a burial urn, isn't it, Mr. Morlock? Exactly. And in this burial urn are the ashes of poor murdered Jennings. Jennings' ashes? Yes. You mean you're going to keep them with you? But of course, gentlemen. I was very fond of Jennings, very fond. What more fitting than that I should keep his ashes to remind me of his years of faithful service. Besides, well, I can always look upon them as part of my little collection. Your collection? Yes, Inspector. It was Mr. Smith here who pointed out that complete as it was, it lacked both a murderer and his victim. Well, here are the ashes of the victim. Great heavens. That's <laughs> rather a unique item, Mr. Morlock. Yes, indeed, and I any collector would be proud of. But the really choice addition to my collection is here in this box, which just arrived. Uh, would you care to look at it, gentlemen? What in the world? Oh, now you needn't guess. <laughs> I'll lift the lid and... Uh... See. Merciful heavens. A pair of hands. The hands of your brother Cain. Exactly. I can't believe it. But what is so strange about it, gentlemen... There are the ashes of a murder victim. Here are the unique and terrible hands that throttled him. Where in all the world will you find a collector who can boast such items as these? You must be mad. <laughs> Morlock, did you plan all this from beginning to end? Plan it, Mr. Smith. But how could I? You're quite mad. We could never prove it. You could prove nothing. <laughs> nothing. Inspector, I think we'd better go. Yes. Come on, let's get out of here before I do something I'd regret. Call again any time, gentlemen. <laughs> Easily upset, weren't they, Kane? Upset by your hands. Your great, strong hands that are going to become the prize items of my little collection. The distorted hands of a murderer. Ooh, how cold they are. And yet I can almost feel the murderous strength in them still. You wanted so bad that you close your hands about my throat, didn't you, Cain? But it's too late now. You're dead. And your hands are dead, too. Lifeless. Would you like to see how your hands look at my throat here? I'll place them there for you. See how nicely they fit around my neck. Just as if they... No! Go me. Your hands, they're choking me. I, I can't breathe. I... Morlock, what is it? Where are you? Inspector, look. Uh, they're on the floor. Good Lord. It's Morlock. And... No. No, it can't be. His brother's hands had clutched around his throat. They've strangled him. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the story of the hands of death as it is written in the sealed book edward morlock was quite dead when they found him with his brother's severed hands about his throat but they called his death heart failure <laughs> For who would believe that two dead hands by themselves could wreak the vengeance that Cain Morlock swore to have before he died? <laughs> 
And perhaps it was heart failure. <laughs> perhaps Edward Morlock, thinking he felt the hands move, died of sheer terror. <laughs> You'll have to decide for yourself which is true. The answer is not written here. <laughs> The sound of the great gong tells me I must lock the book once again. One moment, keeper of the book. What story from the sealed book will you tell us next time? Next time? <laughs> Are you sure you want to know? Perhaps my next story will be about you. For I have here all the stories that ever happened, and many that have not yet come to pass. But I'll find one for you in just a moment. And now, keeper of the book, have you found the story that you'll tell us next time? Yes, yes, I found one. It's a story about a man who found the secret of immortality, of life everlasting, and how he tried to use it to make himself master of the earth. The title of the tale is The King of the World. Be sure to be with us again next time. And the great gong heralds another strange and exciting story from... <laughs> the Sealed Book. The Sealed Book, written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan, is produced and directed by Jock McGregor. Stay tuned for The Fred Allen Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Fred Allen Show with special guest, Marty Woolley. <laughs> Isn't Mary Margaret McBride, Kitty? The Fred Allen Show, with Fred's guests Monty Woolley, Portland Hopper, Minerva Pius as Mrs. Nussbaum, the DeMarco Sisters, and Al Goodman in his orchestra. And if you ever want to look me up in the phone book, girls, my name is Kenny Delmar. <laughs> week, ladies and gentlemen, the new American magazine is on the stands. It contains the life story of Fred Allen. Millions of readers are saying, who is Fred Allen? There is only one answer to this Fred Allen question, and here it is. Fred Allen. Thank you, and good evening. Uh, this is Fred Allen, in case there is any doubt, ladies and gentlemen, in case the name didn't come up earlier in the program. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Say, tell me, Kenny, did you uh, did you happen to read the story of my life in the American magazine? No, Fred. Uh, what is it? One of those rags-to-riches yarns? No, it's from rags-to-rags, Kenny. <laughs> I hold my own in the story. <laughs> you know, I was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Oh, that must have been a long time ago. Yes, Kenny. There was no bird life in Cambridge in those days. 
The stork used to bring his bundles only as far as Boston, and the American Express delivered the babies the rest of the way. <laughs> you were born in a small town. Cambridge was so small, when the Siamese twins stood on the main street, one of the twins was out of town, Kenny. <laughs> Cambridge was so far back in the woods those days, the mayor was an owl. He used to molt every two years and get back in the office again. Well, what happened when you got older, Fred? Well, when I was 15, my voice changed and I joined the church choir. You were a choir boy? Yes, Kenny. The first Sunday I sang in church, 200 people changed their religion. <laughs> I started singing one of... Well, Portland. Yeah, just... You're just in time, Portland. It's time to strike out for Alan's Alley. Oh, have you a question for tonight? Ah, you bet. You know, this past week, a Senate subcommittee published a list of new inventions. Aluminum and glass clothing and electrical gadgets that will greatly influence our post-war lives. And so our question tonight is, how do you think these new scientific developments are going to affect you? Shall we go? As one anchor said to the other anchor, let's away. Well, here we are back in Allen's Alley, Portland. Say, I wonder if the senator had to run for re-election last week. Let's see. Somebody, I say, somebody knock. Yeah, yeah yes. vote for Claghorn. Senator Claghorn, that is. Now, wait a I know. <laughs> they keep going over your head. Well, I know that. I don't yeah, if you're listening, you shouldn't be laughing. Well, I'm doing <laughs> Get one in edgewise. Now, look, are you through, Senator, temporarily? Yeah, yeah. Can I yeah, Sam. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Look, Senator, are you upset about these new post-war inventions? Well, there's only one thing that's got me worried, son. What's that? Them new aluminum suits for men. Aluminum suits? If they, I say, if they take all of America's kitchen utensils to make aluminum suits... Yes? The taxpayer will be caught with his pants down. <laughs> so long, so long, that so is. Long, so long. the senator shouldn't worry about aluminum. He should worry about getting the lead out. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if Titus Moody is in tonight. Howdy, Bob. Well, <laughs> well, well, Mr. Moody, have you tried any of these post-war ideas? Yeah, I started feeding my sheep ionized yeast. Feeding your sheep ironized yeast? I was trying to grow steel wool. Uh, <laughs> well, tell me, how did your experiment work out? Not so good, Bob. No? Yesterday it rained. Yes? Today I got 500 rusty sheep. <laughs> I've never heard of rust taking it on the land, but I guess you have <laughs> Tell me, Mr. Moody, have you had any other trouble with these new gadgets? Yeah, my automatic milking machine kicked up. How? I had the machine hooked onto my cow, milking. Yeah? I went to bed and forgot to turn it off. You left the milking machine running all night? Well, what happened? Milked the cow inside out. <laughs> didn't, it, didn't it ruin the cow? No, she's still giving milk. Yes. But the cream is on the bottom. <laughs> Our 
should have asked Mr. Moody to do a few curd tricks while he was here. <laughs> well, let's try this next house here. No. Ah, oh, Mrs. Nussbaum. You were expecting maybe Lord Bagel? <laughs> Tell me, uh... <laughs> Tell me, uh, Mrs. Nussbaum, are you in favor of these inventions to improve modern living? Forward with science. <laughs> this is by me a slogan. Forward with science. Yes. <laughs> Have you tried any of these new uh, household gadgets? Nats. Nats. Huh? <laughs> I am buying a magic Davenport. What is a magic Davenport? First, it is only a Davenport. Where does the magic come in? You are pushing a button. Presto, the Davenport is hiding in the wall. Oh, good, good. You're pushing another button. Changeo, the Davenport is coming out of the wall of bed. Say, that is magic. Magic, tragic. It is making me a widow. What, uh, what happened? My husband, Pierre, is sitting at the Davenport. Yeah? <laughs> Presto, the Davenport is hiding in the wall. Yes? Changeo, it is staying there. <laughs> Your your husband, Pierre, is trapped in the wall? For four days already. And is, P, is Pierre still alive? We are feeding him through the wall on that hole. <laughs> well, what is Pierre eating? Frankfurt is one at a time. <laughs> well, after this experience, I guess you uh, didn't buy any other new items. Only one. Which one? We are making shoes from soybeans. I'm buying two pairs. Oh, you like your soybean shoes? The ketchup, they are delicious. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That brings us to the last shack in the alley. A knock here should certainly start something. Oh, it's you, Taggy Eyes. Well, McGee and McGee. Now, something tells me you boys have a new song for tonight. Have you heard? When it's tulip time in Toledo, Tallulah, I'll have tulip waiting for you. Now, wait a minute. Look, 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 look. look. Tonight, we are discussing, just discussing, post-war innovation. Great. We got a song about these new glass suits. Glass suits? Yeah. I'll be seeing you with all your familiar... Thank you, McGee and McGee. Not true, that's what you think. And now for some singing. <laughs> now for some singing that's worthwhile, ladies and gentlemen. The five DeMarco sisters, accompanied by Maestro Al Goodman and his music pupils. The DeMarco sing Paper Moon. <laughs> Believe in me with all your love. 
Goodman and his eight bars is a concerto orchestra, have just played That's For Me. Mr. Goodman has more unfinished symphonies on hand than Schubert ever dreamed of. <laughs> Say, Portland. Yes? Tell, is there a copy of today's paper around? If you want to know the latest news, Edgar Bergen just got married. No kidding. Charlie McCarthy has a stepmother, hey? Why, that little fugitive from a sawmill that serves him right. I'd hate to be a ventriloquist wife. What? If a ventriloquist talks in his sleep at night... You mean if he throws his voice? Yes. His wife has to get out of bed and go downstairs to hear what he's saying. Oh, it's too much trouble. I wouldn't even bother with it. That was interesting. But look, uh, you could see the script before he went to sleep. You would know. Look, Portland. I'm not interested in Charlie. I just want to look at the want ads. I have to find someone who wants to sell a radio. Isn't your radio working? No. A friend of mine who lives in Jersey went home the other night and took the tube. <laughs> oh, here's the... <laughs> here's the paper. I wish he took that gag with him, too. <laughs> oh, here's the... Here's the paper on this chair. Let's, uh, let us look at these want ads here. Uh-huh. Oh, here's one. We'll exchange swords and eight medals for good alibi. Signed, General Yamashita. <laughs> he can use a good alibi at the moment. Say, here's something. About a radio? What does it say? We'll give my portable radio to anyone strong enough to carry it away. M.W., Room 40, Jim Hotel. Jim, you know, that's a little theatrical hotel on 47th Street. I'll see you later, Portland. I'm going over to see M.W., Room 40. Room 38, 39, Room 40. Here we are. Yes? Is M.W. in? I'm M.W. Monty Woolley. Well, Mr. Woolley. If you are the exterminator man, there is wildlife rampant in my mattress. (laughs) No, I... If you are the bellboy, I want a clean towel. But I... Look at this towel. It's blacker than a side curtain on a hearse. (laughs) Now, look, mister... If you were the manager, I want knobs put on these doors. I'm sick of opening doors with a corkscrew. (laughs) But, Monty, I'm Fred Allen. Fred, uh, Fred, what are you doing in this flea bag? (laughs) Are you furnishing a dog? (laughs) Now, Monty, stop complaining. Every hotel in town is crowded. You're lucky to even get in this little theatrical hotel. Lucky? Well, I'm sharing this room with four acrobats, three midgets, 
two seals, and a talking hippopotamus. <laughs> but there's no light in here. How can you read here at night? A fire eater lives in the closet. <laughs> a fire eater? Yeah, he eats with the door open. But how... I read by the light of the fire eater's dinner. Oh, I see. That clarifies that. To me, at, at least. Well, I'll, uh... <laughs> I'll see you later, Monty. I'm looking for some chump who put an ad in the paper. He wants to give away his radio set. I am the chump, Fred. Oh, really? Here's my radio set. Get it out of my sight. Monty, you've turned against radio? Well, what is radio? Smiling Irishman, Jingles, L.S., M.F.T., <laughs> and those jokes radio comedians tell about my beard. Oh, you mean when you are on their programs? Yes. Last week, a comedian said, Monty, if I lose my raccoon tail, can I borrow your chin for my radiator cap? <laughs> I remember one comedian said, you look as though you just ate a fuller brush man and his samples are sticking out. <laughs> well, another so-called radio wit said, uh, Monty, your face should be hanging down in front of a Scotsman's kilt. <laughs> Radio Now, look, Monty, are you through panning radio? There's one thing more, Brad. Really? Now, those crime programs. What about them? No crime ever goes unsolved in radio. Mr. District Attorney never loses a case. That's right. Your FBI gets its man every week. Well, what kind of a crime program would you like to hear, Monty? Once, I'd like to hear the truth. The truth? The story of a district attorney or police commissioner who has some trouble with a case. Oh, I see. A guy who isn't infallible. Uh-huh. I'd like to be on one of those programs. Say, I think I can fix that for you, Monty. Fred, it'll bring back my faith in radio. I'd like to see what happens to me. Okay, Inspector Woolley, you are on the air. Mr. Mobbuster. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, champion of the people, foe of the underworld, that defender of law and order, Mr. Mobbuster. And what is your thrilling story for tonight, Mr. Mobbuster? Tonight, I will show you how I dealt with the most dangerous criminal I encountered in my 40 years on the force. Who was the most dangerous criminal, Mr. Mobbuster? Charlie the Chicken. <laughs> Charlie the Chicken? Yes. But it all started back in 1936. I was in my office at police headquarters, polishing some brass knuckles with my right-hand man, Mulligan. Out of a clear sky, Mulligan said, Jave, I don't understand it. Toity is in the office, and you ain't caught one criminal yet. <laughs> it's just a slump, Mulligan. Sixty-seven unsolved moiters this week alone, Chief. The streets is jammed with bodies. Has anybody noticed it? <laughs> Some street cleaner stooled on you, Chief. The newspapers is hinting you're a coward. I'll come through, Mulligan. They've got to give me time. Ah, Miss Pitt, my secretary. Here's your fan mail, Chief. One postcard. What does it say? As long as you are in office, our minds are at ease. Good. Who's it from? Moiter Incorporated. <laughs> Chief, you're the laughing stock of the city. You've got to catch a criminal pretty soon. If I can just get one case, I'll show the newspapers. Uh, Miss Pitt, turn on my shortwave set. Okay, Chief. Attention all police, poultry truck hijacked in Jersey, 2,000 chickens stolen, Charlie the chicken suspected, Charlie the chicken suspected, attention all. Jeepers, Chief. Mulligan, 
That's the case for me. Charlie, the chicken's the biggest chicken napper in the country. This case will be a feather in your cap, Chief. All right, Mulligan. Miss Finn. Yes, Chief. Call the newspapers. Tell them I'm bringing in Charlie the Chicken single-handed. Let's go, Mulligan. Okay, Chief. This is mighty exciting, Mr. Mobbuster. What happened next? Those chickens were disappearing every day. I got a tip that Charlie the Chicken was going to rob the biggest chicken coop in the Bronx. You were prepared? Oh, Mulligan and I hid in the coop. Day and night, we sat on two nests, disguised as chickens. One night, as we sat there in the dark, clucking, I heard Mulligan speak. Chief, I gotta get off this nest. No kidding, if I... Quiet, Mulligan. Somebody just came in the coop. Okay, Chief. I'll get back on the nest. We better start clucking again. Who's clucking? Who's in here? Who's there? <laughs> Wait till I flash me searchlight. I thought so. Two chickens with gypies on. I've got to tally the chicken. Coppers, eh? Take this. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. We can lay the chief on this table, Miss Finn. <laughs> Okay, Mulligan. Easy now. Oh. We got you back to the office okay, Chief. No reporters even seen you. What? I can't hear you. No wonder you can't hear, Chief. Jeepers. Charlie the chicken shot off both your ears. No ears? Well, what will I hang my glasses on? Gee, you're a sight, Chief. In that chicken coop three days, phew. <laughs> Feathers off you. Yeah, I'll comb this mash out of your hair, Chief. Never mind the mash. Get this egg off my chin. My beard looks like an omelet with a point on it. Charlie, the chicken got away clean. Yes, but I'm a mess. I'll find Charlie the chicken if it's... I'll get it, Chief. Don't bother getting up. You'll dirty the floor. Hello? Is Mr. Mobbuster there? Yeah. This is the FBI. Charlie, the chicken is going to stick up the Acme Coal storage plant tonight. Tell Mr. Mobbuster to get going. Okay, John Egger. Who was it, Mulligan? The FBI. John Egger, personally. Charlie the Chicken is holding up the Acme Coal Storage Plant, Chief. And the job is tonight. This time, Mulligan, Charlie the Chicken is a dead duck. Let's go. Okay, Chief. You've got us all biting our nails, Mr. Mobbuster. Did you catch Charlie? Not exactly. Miss Finn, Mulligan, and I went to the coal storage plant. We were hiding behind three icicles. I heard Mulligan say... Shh, shh, quiet, Chief. Charlie the chicken is in that icebox. Good, good. I've got him trapped. What are you going to do? Here, what's your next move, Chief? Mulligan, you and Miss Finn go back to the office and call the reporters and photographers. But, Chief... I'm bringing in Charlie the chicken alone. Good luck, Chief. Let's beat it, Miss Finn. Now... I'll open this icebox door. Who opened that door? Come out with your hands up, Charlie the Chicken. Oh, yeah? Take this, copper. Oh! Now, Mr. Mobbuster, I'm locking you in this icebox. Oh, help! Help! You can lay the chief on the floor, Mulligan. (laughs) 
okay, Miss Finn. He's a solid block of ice. I'll put him down over here. Hey, that was a good idea of yours, carrying the chief home with these ice tongs. Who wakes in that ice box? He looks like a human rink. I'll chip away some of this ice and see if the chief is still alive. Chip a hole near his mouth. Okay. As soon as I chip off this little chunk, his mouth will be free. How do you feel, Chief? Like a big popsicle. (laughs) Get me out of this frozen kimono. A couple of more chops, Chief. There you are, Chief. What an experience. I'm colder than a snowman's clavicle. Hey, Chief, your nose is gone. Surely the chickens are sure shot, Chief. I know, I know. My ears are gone. My nose is shut off. I'm starting to lose face. <laughs> hey, Chief, why don't you call off this manhunt? Hey, Chief, this code message just came on the teletype. Eureka! The address of Charlie the Chicken's hideout. Come on, Mulligan. Okay, Chief. <laughs> Is this the joint, Chief? Yes. Charlie the Chicken hangs out at this Bowery saloon. Yeah? Let's go in. Hey, you better be careful, Chief. Chief, this joint looks creepy. Hey, bartender, is Charlie around? Look behind you, bud. Clap hands, Chief. Here comes Charlie. (laughs) At last, Charlie, I've got you. Nobody's taking Charlie the Chicken alive, copper. Take that! What happened then, Mr. Marbuster? Well, Charlie the Chip Chicken made his final getaway. He disappeared completely. And you? I was removed from office. <laughs> I got out of the charity ward, practically and partially recovered from my wounds. I was out of work for nine years until I got this job on the radio. What became of Charlie? Charlie the Chicken sold all his stolen chickens in the black market for a fabulous sum and is now living in Florida under the alias of Gordon the Goose. He has a 50-room mansion with a private beach, three yachts, 12 speedboats, and a private plane. He spends his days at the track and is engaged to a beautiful movie star. And so, Mr. Mobbuster, the moral of this story is... Crime does not pay. And I want to thank Monty Woolley for joining us tonight. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, next Sunday night, the Fred Allen Show brings you comedy. <laughs> comedy, that is. Drama. Drama. I'm finished, Ronald. I'm at the end of my rope. Cheer up, old girl. Cheer up. I'll wind up your yo-yo again. And our guest will be... Boris Karloff. Boo. Good night.
Fred Allen will be back again next week at the same time. This is the Armed Forces Radio Service. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Cloak and Dagger, followed by Jack Benny. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.